Hello and welcome to the Messy and Glorious podcast. Grab a cuppa and listen in on our conversation. I'm Sam Osbiston, bravery coach, writer and your host. Today I'm speaking with, with Lillian of Abogo, international speaker, corporate trainer and nurture your power coach. She's a passionate champion for women to step up and own their power. After a successful career in corporate world, Lillian found herself looking for ways to dismantle the barriers that continue to limit women from succeeding. After speaking internationally at women conferences and on confidence and leadership, Lillian soon realised sharing her voice with others using digital spaces would take her message further. Now founder and host of Shine Out Loud show, a podcast with a focus on creatives, founders and CEOs from black, Asian and minority ethnic communities, shining a light on their work and the impact they are making in the UK and across the globe. Oh my God, so excited. Welcome Lillian. Um, so you. excited for this conversation. Um, it's, it's been a while and um, I will keep going to that a bit later. And, but just I, I really, for the listeners who don't know you yet, um, who are going to want to know you more and more, just share a little bit about you, where you're at at the moment. Um, yeah, just... Oh, okay, so <laughs> share a bit about me. So let's start. Uh, yes, I've been a speaker. I've worked with women. Primarily, my work has been always around women in different shapes and guises. And if we strip all the labels, if we strip all the stuff, it's about how can women fall madly passionate in love with the women they are? How can they actually step up and not let the noise behind their heads stop them from actually making an impact in the world? How can we go from making an impact to say, how can we live a legacy, not leave a legacy? Because the world that we, we are living in now is calling for us as women to live our legacy so that we actually make impact, not just on ourselves, our immediate family, but also further and further afield. Because we as women have the ability to act like supernovas and stars. And when we radiate outwards we impact and affect other people so if we are happy and doing things and making changes and changing the world in our own way whether it's in our own kitchen or it's in our boardroom we are then impacting others to follow in our footsteps whether it's teaching our daughters and our sons to say that behavior is not acceptable and i will speak up and i'll speak out or you know what they told my mom she couldn't and she did. So because of her, I can. That's the work I have done. And that's the work that drives me. That's what drives my own passion, my own need is to continue to work with more women so that they can continue to make that impact. I love that, like to live a legacy. And I think that is the vital switch um, between thinking we have to leave something behind when actually we can make such an impact while we're still here and and as you say I'm, I'm totally up for us making our statements or leaving our legacies in tiny simple ways as much as you know bringing our children up is such uh, an important thing that we do in, in in you know creating that different world and you know, just speaking to strangers or speaking to somebody on the bus can, it's amazing what, an, it's even something so tiny, what a massive impact that can make. Exactly. Um, it's, it's just, um, and I think we get overwhelmed sometimes on 
how we need to make an impact instead of you know how how what I blame we're already social, doing I, I, I blame social media because every time we open up whether it's our phone or our laptops and we're like oh my god she's a six she makes six figure incomes and she's you know she's climbing Michi Picchu when she's doing x y and z and all I do is this much you're like yeah you don't have to climb Michu, Machu Picchu to become to be impactful. You don't have to make six figures. And if you are making six figures, great. If that's your ultimate goal to make those, great. You can do that. And I'm not denigrating anybody who does that. But the fact is you can make an impact one person at a time. Your impact could be you are the one who is reshaping what it means to be female, what it means to be a woman, how that shows up for you because you are probably are now the first and only in your family of women who have said, you know what, I'm going to do this because I can. That's an impact. That's that's being impactful because you just by one decision, you've actually changed the generational story that the women in your family will end up telling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the it's just yeah it's incredible I love it I just I love that you can just be sat on the couch and make a choice like what you're watching what you're doing and how you're living with your family and it it makes such a change it's yeah it's such um an enlightening realization um when you realize you don't have to do it all in order to make make that impact so um over the past, well, we've tried to work out how long it was since I first interviewed you. Um, I think, let's go with 2014. It sounds yeah, a lot better. I think it was, like, six years ago. That's what I had in my mind, and it's, like, six years ago. And I and, and then, when I spoke to you, I was doing a Sacred Women series, and we all had our own sort of specialisms, and yours was relationship, but in particular, it was um, sensuality discovery specialist. So I wanted to sort of kind of understand and share kind of where you were then. And, and, and I know then as well, it's very important to you that women um, were, you know, having realisation about having their power in, in the sense of, of themselves and, and, you know, understanding their own bodies and things like that. But just take me from how you got from there to ultimately now you're you're in corporate you're still in corporate training I still do corporate training I still I I, well I rock up and do corporate training so I still do corporate training I've been a project manager I've worked in you know for my sins in private banks and public you know high street banks I've done I've done that Um, so how did I get there everything I've done has been in in peril so while I had my corporate career I, I had my other career how did I start into the whole conversation around a sensual woman is really the sensual woman is most. And I think we had that discussion where it's the, the discussion between sensual and sexual. And it's like sexual is the, is the doing is the, is the verb is, the, you know, sensual is what we are, where we live from our senses. Um, if we use NLP and we use it with NLP languages, they'll talk about, taking the world in through our back language whether it's our visual kinesthetic Mm -hmm. auditory you know it's all of that it's are we awake are we present in our own body to know what we want do we know what do we know what 
kind touch means to us? Do we have a self relationship? And that was, that was my entryway into that conversation around the sensual woman and finding a sensual way of being. It was about being awake. And everything, it's like everything is a journey and you kind of grow and morph and change, but it's still, whether now I'm talking about women owning your power and stepping in and showing up, it's still about, are you present to your power? Mm-hmm. Are you present to your power? And are you present to the woman you are today? And we all experience things. I call it, it's like, um, if you've ever seen the, the Rocky movies, no, not the, yeah, it's Rocky movies. Do you remember like the first time Rocky Balboa got hit, boom, and he lays down and he's like, <laughs> it's like he stops breathing for a second. We experience things in life that literally knock our confidence out of our system. And we stand up and our confidence has left the ring, left the room. Our confidence is in the, in the back going, oh, that was a hard knock. And we are left to stand in the ring on our own. And we are somehow, sometimes we forget that we have the confidence. We had it in the first place. And we kind of stop playing smaller and smaller and smaller. And our confidence is trying to get our attention. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. We're really this person who we become the sum of our experience. And that experience begins to define us. And then we start using words like, we start hearing what I call the, the chimp committee start flashing up and going off and telling us all sorts of things about us. Oh, you know, any success you may have had, guess what, hun? It was a fluke. Oh, you know what? The reason why you got that particular gig or that particular job or you were promoted was because, you know, the moons were junked and aligned <laughs> and yeah. they kind of chose you that day, but they made a mistake. And then we start seeing ourselves as imposters and frauds and fake. We, we start holding into our, our energy and our field, our, our person and believing that we are not enough, especially when we are constantly being whispered to that you are not enough, you are not enough, you. And so the work I'm doing is really about, I tell people I don't teach you anything new, I just remind you who you are. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that, and that's the, I think we miss that, don't we? That actually everything that we are is already there. And, and we've had, like you say, so many knocks that we almost forget. It's like we've been chipped away, but we are, still there there's just little dents all over our bodies Mm. and um that does take the joyful memories and the confident memories away um leaving sometimes quite um you know quite a skeleton a frightening skeleton Uh, of a person exactly Um, and uh i think um i can relate to that and the fact that you know when we spoke the whole purpose of the series that i was doing was was about women who'd been abused and um and how we regained our power from, from you know, the experiences we've had. Um, and it's why I do the work that I do, you know, because of that very reason that the messy part, um, you know, you need to regain the glorious elements of it so that you can remember who you are. Um, yeah. and, and I think the, that we, we almost fall into a pattern of sabotage that we can't get out of no matter how successful we think we've become or are have become in the light or in the eyes of other people and and it it is really disempowering and almost it's almost like you're um you know you're frozen into that 
that yeah part and, of and yourself. that it's like you have a snapshot in time so you have yeah. this knock especially if it's impactful you have this knock and it it kind of takes the wind out of you and it feels like in that moment there's a snapshot taken of your soul and it's that of that frightened person and then that becomes the identity Mm. that becomes the conversation and you forget everything else and no matter how many vision boards you create no matter how many goals you put down you will either like you said self-sabotage you will find some way you procrastinate you you do something and it would it, this just happens and keeps happening and it's it's like being in the most toxic relationship you can be because it's the worst kind of toxic relationship because it's the toxic relationship with yourself yeah and yeah. so for that you have to you have to get over yourself you have to get over that version of you that is that had that moment stop going back I, I call it doing the, the um, CSI thing where you go back and do the forensic stop doing the forensic it's there. yeah <laughs> left let it go yeah. there's no mm-mm. there's no more there's no more evidence Horatio Kane is not coming the evidence is done you've dusted it let it go and start again you cannot go back to be the person because sometimes even I've done it and everything I'm talking about here is from own experience so I'm going to own own my experience yeah where where we have the conf- we have the confidence knocked out of us at a particular point, and it seems like you're trying to go back to the point that you were before the confidence was knocked out of you, and you're like, you have to get the point till you realize you can't go back, you cannot yeah. go back, you have to become somebody new, you have to stop becoming somebody else. So the person you were then is no longer the woman you are today, and so it's taking all of that on board, and it's one step at a time. Do you remember um, a time where it specifically you remember giving your power away that kind of either started that um, journey or where you remember the last time you gave your power away and you started to realise that's what you were doing? All right, I'm laughing because, oh, I have, I, so 2014 was the last time we spoke, give a, give a take. And I don't think you remember that I worked on a book project called. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I remember. Um, yes, that you the the stiletto one. I worked no. in another one. There was an, okay. one after that, and that was called "Born for This: The Journey to Success in Life, Love, and Business." Okay. And this was my project. I brought about twenty six other people from across the globe together, and to to be part of this project. And we we're talking about our relationship with failure because you know that's another topic I'm really passionate about because mm. we live in this world where you know oh let's go viral you're like let's not because you know <laughs> this whole instant success where we live in a culture where success must come like this and you're like I don't know how I don't know what world you're living in but no when the greats that we know of will tell you it takes 10 years to become an overnight success mm-hmm. and but you know this whole conversation around failure and how we must always be successful and failure is something we kind of sweep under the carpet and never talk about and so I brought people together to talk about failure the book came out and I remember the day the book came out because you have this grinding full day of pushing and plugging the book consistently did I mention that I had people from almost five continents across the world pushing this book we got some bestseller statuses on Amazon and 
and stuff like that. But there was one particular category that would have made us the best seller overall. We didn't get that one. And I remember after that, people were like, oh, yeah, you did this great thing. And I remember I sat on my floor and I cried, cried for hours. You think I'd lost, I'd lost my best friend kind of crying. It yeah. was not pretty. It was not elegant. It was tears. Um, I was looking at the book, the copies I had with me, and the book was looking at me. And I was like, I hate this book. And I literally felt like I had failed because we didn't get this particular status. I felt like there was so many, it, it was layered. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you think, okay, I'm going to do this then, and this is going to put me on this particular platform, and it's going to do this for me, and ta-da, and it does it, and you're like, <laughs> you start to hyperventilate in your own brain. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. That's where I was. And because I had, I'm like, yeah, I can write a book on failure. And, and to, so to write a book where I'm discussing failure, and then the only emotion I felt after creating this book was that it failed. Okay. And then the imposter syndrome kicked in for, oh, oh, it gave me a kick in. It kicked in majorly. It, the imposter syndrome came up. Um, you know, the not enough feeling came up. And I stopped. I, I just, I couldn't continue. That's why it looked like I just kind of disappeared for mm -hmm. five years because I just needed time. I needed time. To kind of, the, the way I described it to a friend, I, I, t I said to her, it feels like being lost in the forest of Wiggy Wee. And it's like there's a constant fog and you're trying to, you're going round and round and round going, oh, look, there's a moment of clarity and then it fogs up. So yeah. you keep going around, moment of clarity. Like, let me come out through this part and you kind of poke your head at your look and then you go back in and then you feel fogged and clouded and this, this dense forest and it feels like you're going round and round and round. And that's what it felt like I was doing for so long. And I couldn't see myself. I couldn't see my worth. I couldn't see my own value. I couldn't see if somebody said to me, oh, you did, you, you, you're I was kind of like, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's fine. And I just stopped. And I just, because I had to be honest with myself, I needed the time. I needed to find myself. I needed to find my own voice. I needed to actually look at myself. Now, I know I have my, um, um, screen up normally you'd have seen my mirror and on my mirror I now I remember they got to a point and I had to write on my mirror in lipstick I am enough mm -hmm. I had to rem start reminding myself with my own techniques I'm an NLP practitioner I've done I've done you know I've done so many techniques yeah. and everything I had to restart the work again and I had to stop going back trying to go well I was this person I was fearless then I, I did this because all that did was you kind of rattle old bones and there was mm -hmm. nothing there to hold it and so I had to find a version of myself that I could stop building again does that answer that question yeah oh my god yeah um yeah and I uh I totally get that foggy feeling uh, um from like because like you're saying, like the, the 10 year thing, I've, I've been in business for 10 years in some shape or form. And um, I've been a lot through a lot of fog, <laughs> through a lot of fog in that time. And, and like looking at achievements and things that I've done and thinking like, you know, if, if you were looking from the outside, some people might say, oh my God, that's amazing. Or mm -hmm. look at what you've achieved. And my husband does that, you know, he says, well, you've had like all these businesses and done this, that and the other. I'm like, yeah, but it's like, no, it doesn't feel like sometimes I've, you know, 
work I'm doing now is 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 amazing and feels so much better than it did back then and I had a period of time between uh you know from when we did our sacred women series to sort of like a couple of years ago where I was so lost in that fog and mm. so down on myself and felt like you know I hadn't achieved anything and I didn't know where I was going and um, you just can't see yourself no you can't and I, did, I didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to be doing I was, I was wanting to do amazing work with women but I was still stuck in my system side of myself my techie side and and like fighting between like my left and right brain and 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 yeah it was really lonely and really painful and you don't know whether to go forwards or backwards or stay where you are and, and you know to to find out what you need to know in order to move forward um and I, I think I think a lot of us go through that and don't realize that, that other people are going through it as well yeah. and that you know that that's part of the process of, exactly of success of of becoming successful in the way you want to come become successful I think it's it's not just for our success it's the part of us and to borrow from Michelle Obama for us to become that version of that future self that we're always looking for we have to go through literally the burn up we have to burn burn everything of who we used to be and start creating and recreating ourselves from something new something different and I'm, I know I'm mixing metaphors but you know when you have broken um, the Japanese houses somewhere where uh, the, the broken uh, kiyagi is there kiyagi yeah uh, where you break the it's broken and then you mend it and then it's more beautiful more yeah. solid you have to go through that but you cannot do that if you're still shifting through and trying to go, oh, but I need to know why it's broken. I need to know who to blame. Oh, I need to, I need to, I need to do this. I need to, you're kind of still going over trying to unearth what happened there. Mm-hmm. You have to get to a point where you go, it happened. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to just leave it. It happened and move. Because yeah. if you're constantly just there, you're never going to move forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, y- yeah, it's like being stuck in the mud, isn't it? like completely or concrete even <laughs> stuck in concrete and you're not moving um yeah no, I'm not feeling like you're moving at all so um we were talking about women around like you know the power and stepping into your power how have you found that the women that you've worked with or the women that you come across have, have relinquished their power in the first place and how how does it how does it begin to decimate, you know, into into them? You know, you know, there's that saying, you know, the easiest way for us to believe to give up our powers to believe we have none. So we're fed. We're fed a lot of stuff right from childhood. As girls, we're told, play nice, be nice, smile, you know one wants to see you frown. You know, you know, those kind of behaviors. We're taught that our needs are meant to come last. Um, and it's funny, I was just writing that today, especially in the black community, there's this idea of, you know, the long suffering mom and the long suffering woman, you know, that woman that always puts everybody's needs before hers. And, and I'm like, okay, that's one story, but nobody wants that anymore because that woman is the one who goes through life unfulfilled, who believes that 
her needs have has no place at the table or where we actually stop buying into the voices in our head the fastest way to give up our power is to believe the voices in our heads whether you call them the inner mean girl the chimp committee the gremlins the the negative thoughts the critical voice whatever it is you call it it's not my concern at this point is the the moment you stop believing it as the absolute gospel as the absolute truth that's the moment you give up your power mm-hmm. because they have nothing positive to say no <laughs> it doesn't for sure and I, and I can really relate to the you know the the, the mum the mum element or the mother of the family you know being not so much a matriarch in the respect of what we can imagine that matriarch in some societies to be but to be the person who's always last and to always yeah. putting everyone first um, to the point and to the, her detriment, not only losing her power, but her ultimately her health and and, and everything her joy, else. her everything. Yeah. Um, you know, you're supposed to. Oh, you know, and then you have these women who moms who will shame you. Oh no, no, no! You're supposed to give everything to the child, yeah. and then you have these women that have this very weird relationship. They're unhappy in their own minds, and they go, "Well, but I, I gave everything to you, like." I don't recall asking for that. I asked for certain things. Asking for everything you had so you had nothing left was not on the list. Yeah. But but there's this idea that that's what makes a good woman. And if you don't play that game, then you're branded because, you know, it's only a selfish woman would put her needs first before her children or her family or her community or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, all of this rubs us and it, it makes us smaller. It's it then so we have what I call the generation. So those are the generational stories. Then we have the we encounter failing moments and then we make those failing moments our picture of our reality. And take instead of taking the lesson, we hold the failure like it's it's not we failed at that thing. And it took me a long time to learn the dis- distinction where I failed at creating a, a sustainable business doesn't mean that I am a failure. Yeah. It means I failed at that particular thing. And it's funny how men can go, we've seen it play out on public stages right now. We have people in power whose CV is a history of failure and now a hold in public office and you're like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, this is not what we were taught. We're taught you have to be successful and we have to have all the, done every I and every T before you can even put your hand up for the, the tiniest job promotion. How are you people doing this? But we, we then go, oh, I failed at one thing here. So my life, I'm going to, you know, define myself by this and so we define ourselves by that then we now we go because we have this what i call the defining moment that the chimp committee will then latch on and anytime you try something you go mm, mm, mm. <laughs> let me present evidence a you 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 suck look at what <laughs> you did over here your mess is still yeah. over here yeah and so because we are still holding those pictures holding those ideas and believe in the words we then start to play small. We stop taking risks. The moment we stop taking risks, the moment we stop stepping up and showing up, whether we win or not, the moment we stop showing up is the moment we really start to fail. It's the moment we really start to shrink. It's the moment we stop 
being the amazing being that we're supposed to be. How do you think um, as women we can take a role and a responsibility to ensure that new stories are are filtered and woven into our generational stories do you know so how we can start to build a stronger foundation for women to step into their power first of all we need to we need to start talking so more conversations like this we need to start talking we need to start getting very clear on the message that we send to those behind us those whether in our families whether in our communities whether they look like us or not start sending very deliberate message because you can't act like it's always all good with you. You have to be honest and be, and be willing to be honest. You've got to understand, and this is where the conversation about allyship and mentorship and people who are willing to go beyond and sponsorship to have women who are saying, we've made it into this room, so I'm going to make sure that we keep that door open mm-hmm. to have others come in. Or I'm going to make it my mission to support somebody else. Whether you do it actively in terms of it's part of your your work program or something, or you're doing it in your own time with friends and family, you want to always be on the lookout for the way to change the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Um. Oh, I've gone all blank. <laughs> That's okay. That's right. Like, <laughs> um, the story, yeah, changing the story. And um, so over this past few months, there, I feel like it's been a weird few months. Um, but I'm bringing it into the conversation because I feel that a lot has happened over these past months that has meant people have had to pause and listen a little bit more than they normally would because they're not as busy and mm-hmm. because um, they're looking at life from a completely different perspective and maybe for some not from a perspective that ever come across before and in it within this this time there's been a lot of conversation and um, a lot of things happening in the black community and with ethnic communities in general and I think it was um is it X Abraham has the anti-racist I don't want to pretend that I'm like no no I'm just it's something that's certainly come up for me that that actually I listened to him talking to Brené Brown and it really opened my eyes when he started talking about anti-racism and I just wanted to to have a bit of a hard conversation with you about, because as a woman, and this is why I'm bringing it up, as a woman, I am probably very naive to my fellow women of different cultures, because as a woman, I feel oppressed. I feel like I've had to go through certain obstacles in my life that a man doesn't have to go through. Mm -hmm. And in that respect, I look at another woman regardless of colour and see another human being or see another woman and I I know that that can sometimes put me in a privileged sense of not really understanding that other woman um 
And as a woman of colour, as opposed to a white woman, where do you feel the power struggles lie? And what I really want to understand is, is how can white women support women of colour or ethnic communities in, within their everyday life? Um, because it's something that I really, I don't want to ignore. Okay, you know, for myself and actually for my own community, I'd be really, I'd really love to be able to hear your point of view on that in okay. some way. It's, it's a really big conversation. And so first and foremost, the thing that you can, you can do is have the conversation. Because yes, you are a woman like I am a woman. And so there's this whole idea, well, we're both oppressed. But it becomes a case of, apples and oranges in that in that wider conversation because your oppression and my oppression becomes slightly different because I have I have a gender issue to face but before I get to my gender issue I have a racial issue so before somebody sees my gender they see my race first um so and I've and I've had uh, I can give you a lot of examples so the first thing is to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversation. It's never going to be comfortable. It's never going to be easy. Um, you know, it, it's funny because when people talk about feminism and there seems to be an odd, an, an odd, black women seem to be at, at odds with the concept of feminism is is laughable because we have to remember the inception of feminism were middle-class white women who wanted an opportunity to work black women were already working mm -hmm. and we're not being paid some of them are being paid very little and disrespected so it was never when feminism was created it wasn't even on an equal footing of yeah it's mm -hmm. for what all women want it was for middle-class white women who wanted an opportunity to go outside of the home and work and earn and everything and people say yeah but there were um, um white women of lower class who were already working but in different respects again so let we can't go back to all of history and fix it but it's the it's the it's a conversation it's the recognition is the fact that when you have i did something just before the lockdown started was um international women's um day i did a talk on leadership and and you know for you know why you know, around the whole subject in my research there, I discovered that there are only five CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that are women in the UK. Wow. And of all five of them, the diversity that reigns is that one is a brunette. Okay. <laughs> is that natural or is that hair dye? <laughs> it could be Maybelline. It could be... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, wow, yeah. So, so yeah. there's that conversation. Then there's there are conversations about let's get an understanding of sometimes you can when people talk about diversity and then they, they, there's a white there's there's a woman in the room, then they're like, oh yeah, we've covered the quota, so we're good. And you're like, uh, no, because if she went to a middle class school, maybe it's a St. Anne's to the Eaton's it's still not diversity because you still don't see me. Or when you have 
some liberals will say, hey, you know what, I don't see color and, and everything. And sometimes what that sounds like when you say you don't see color, it's saying you can't see me because mm -hmm. if you can't see color, you can't see the fact that I, you and I can go to a store. So let's, let, let's pick a store. Let's pick something nice and upscale. Um, Harrods. Okay. You and I, Sam, can go to Harrods. You can be dressed <laughs> in whatever way you want to dress. You can go in and be browsing. No one will bother you. And I will ask you, you can, I will say to you, did you, know, did, did you see the security guard? You'd be like, there's a security guard? Because it's not in your purview. You wouldn't have noticed. For me, I enter the store. The first thing I now have to start looking at how people are looking at me. As children, we are taught, keep your hands in your pocket mm -hmm. so people don't think you're touching things. We've learned to actually have to modify ourselves in spaces so that we are less threatening. And that's just in a social setting. So I'm in a store the same way you're in a store, but all of a sudden, oh, people are overly efficient around you because should you really be in here? Mm. That's the message we're getting back. I've been in stores where, and I'm not even gonna name names, where I've seen the, the security guy is following me around or even my mom. And there are people who have I've actually seen are picking things off the shelf and put it straight in their bag, but they're not looking at them but they're looking at me and I'm like, oh, you're really bad at your job. Yeah, because they're being hoodwinked by who's in the oh, room instead by of their what own the prejudices. people in the room are doing. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's one side of it. But then there's also another side of it where I, for many years, I would have to fit my, my perception of self to fit the working world. So my hair out like this, it's lovely, it's natural. But I've been told in spaces that I don't look professional or if I have my hair in braids, I've been told it's unprofessional. Yet I have Kim in accounting whose hair is bubblegum pink. But you know, she's really creative and so, she's so creative and so uh, quirky and different. Her hair is pink people, yet HR had a conversation with me about my hair being unprofessional, mm -hmm. can we have this conversation? So the moment you keep saying you don't, people, and I'm not saying you particular, but the moment that conversation, I don't see color, then you can't see the conversations mm -hmm. that I'm trying to have. And then, then my conversations are silenced. And so it becomes hard, it becomes frustrating, it becomes annoying, then there's also, it's there's a terminology for it which I really don't like but there's I, I don't know any other terminology for it to use where it's it's called weaponizing tears okay yeah a lot of the time we again black women are told we you know there's this idea that we're strong type we're not supposed and in in workplaces you could sometimes a lot of microaggression we're dealing with a lot of stuff and then you have an incident with a colleague of another race and before you even say anything she's crying and then you look like the aggressor but all the while she's been the aggressor mm -hmm. but now she's weaponized her tears because oh my god and then oh i didn't mean to and i'm apologizing as soon as she, the tears come out and everybody's like oh but you should forgive her you're like 
Yeah. Not okay. So these are the things that we've had to deal with and sometimes still continue to, I mean, look at the States where you have these women who are deliberately picking up the phone, making false allegations. Oh my God, yeah. I thought that's horrendous. Because they know. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like a dog whistle. They know instantly. Instantly. And this, if you go back all the way to the Emmett Till murder of a 14-year-old boy, where it's, it's weaponizing that. And it's, 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 it's dangerous. So there's all of these things. So it's not a comfortable conversation. It's not an easy conversation. No. And so I appreciate you having it. There's, you know, and, there, and the thing is, there's also this idea and this the expectation that we as Black women or we as Black people are supposed to educate about the, the situation. I can't educate you about a system I didn't create. No. I can't fix a system I did not create. You have to do the education because the, edu- the, the, the material is out there. Yes, you have to look, but you have to be willing to look. There's the show that um, Samuel Jackson is doing recently called Enslaved. I can't bear to watch it. It's out there. You, people have to be willing to do that education. And there's no more enough to just say, oh, well, we live in post-racial times and, you know, um, or the other ones I hear from certain people, well, my partner is from another race, so I'm good. Like, No, um, that's a cop-out, isn't it? Yeah, you tend to just want to hold your head and go, okay, um, I'm, I'm just going to check out of this conversation right now. And there's, that's why someone like Remy Anato uh, wrote the book about I'm no longer talking to white people about yeah. race because it, it gets tiresome. Yeah, I you know from my my perspective on on like just wanting to understand and relate to uh, as much as I possibly can to other human beings, specific, you know, in particular women, because I feel like that's where I can I can mm, relate and I can yeah. tune in and. Um, I can try and understand and open up conversations in order for things to be different. And I, you know, I can't, I can't promise to do everything like, right, because how do I know, you know, I don't know what's going to be right and wrong. And I don't know if I'm going to, but, it's a, it but, not, but, but I'm you're willing. making a start. You're making yeah. a start and that's important. you you have, you have to, you have to, make that start and 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 reach out and like you said you don't know if you're going to offend and you ask the question and sometimes it's also it's two sides of the fence and sometimes it's also I need to be able to stop and go okay if you don't know and no one has told you then I will tell you and it's that kind of conversation it's 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 so there has to be a meeting of the mind and a meeting of the middle there's You know, and like I said, the, the, the information is out there when we're talking about pay, gender pay gap. When we think about gender pay gap, we think it's one thing, but it's not. The, I don't know if you read the McKenzie report that came out last year. That was horrifying. It showed the pay gap between men and women. And then when it broke it down further, it showed that women of ethnic minorities were still being paid less. Which, and I mean, so, I know the pay the pay gap is horrendous anyway. But that you know, to know that that that's actually not only is someone being paid 
less for the same work, but there is then another tier to that. There um, is, there is. Yeah. And so, and and then they compared it to women from the Latino community, from um, the other um, um, ethnic minorities, and they did um, Chinese, I think they put it into Chinese, South Asia, and things like that. And then the Black community, Black women were, were being paid less than all three. And it's like, so it, it's, it's, it's not just a double-edged sword for us because, like I said, it's the, the face of it is I have to deal with gender issues. I have my gender issues, but I also have to deal with my racial issues. And that is a bigger hurdle um, to climb first before I get to start climbing the gender issue. And so that's why I'm actually giving up on looking for equality and more looking for equity. Yeah. Yeah, it did shock me when you said that, you know, you first of all, you're black and then you're a woman when people look at you. And that for me is, is quite an eye opener um, to, to you in order to sort of like rethink how I react and look when people come into the room um, or, or walking down the street or whatever. Do you think that, um, you know, we were talking about before how we can make small impacts within our space mm-hmm. I feel like um through my writing and through my experiences I can change or um plant seeds um in people's minds about how they can make an impact as a couch activist as I like to call them you know from from the <laughs> from their own own home mm-hmm. and um to take a responsibility um, within the white community to open up the conversations and research and understand as much as possible. Um, do you think that, you know, that that will make a massive di- difference if we are prepared to do that, even in our, within our homes and how we speak to our children, how we, you know, tell them, like, you know, w- what we've learned about our, you know, our it relationship. Will, it, will. it will make yeah. a difference. Um, I don't know if this was, wasn't last, I think it was last year. This year has felt so long that you don't know, you kind of run out of, of time frames. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, just slightly. Last, it was last year, I saw this viral video of this little girl. She was barely five. And she's sweet little, blonde little baby. This girl should not know the difference between people in terms of, but I don't know, somebody had eaten something or she had taken something and her mom was asking her a question. And her first response was, it was a black man that did it, that came in and took it. It, it went viral. And it said, and whoever the adult was, was filming this and giggling. And she said it was a black man. It was this, it was that. And you could see that that is probably the kind of conversation she's privy to. Wow. Yeah that is the kind of conversation she's probably privy to or you know you have still have kids who have been born in so you know after who are still using very derogatory language to to describe people of other races because that's the conversation in their home so the messaging and what you do and helping plant seeds of having those conversations and confronting those conversations where it's no longer, oh, that's just our uncle from, you know, who fought in the war. 
he's harmless. No, he's not harmless. He has a problem and you need to tell him about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's not acceptable to say your biracial child's hair is unmanageable because what you're planting in your child's head is she is, her hair is unworthy. Yeah. So the conversations has, plays a lot because those are the things that are in private. So planting the seeds of new conversations, changing the stories, confronting those stories are very powerful because they change generations. Because if not, if those things still went lingering in homes behind closed doors, we, we won't have generation of people who still will look at me and think I am the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. You said that really well. <laughs> no, that was amazing. Cause I, yeah, I agree that the, the stuff that goes on behind closed doors is where we need to do things because that, is where the issues are because they're hidden yeah yeah, yeah. so so powerful um so stories they're they're so important to me i i you know i feel like that, that you mentioned in your intro to your podcast you know that we need stories and we need we need to keep telling them and we need to you know, create new stories um, in order to keep that, you know, these messages, these new messages alive, these things that need really matter alive. And I, when I was looking, I was scanning through all the people that you've interviewed, so many amazing, amazing people. Um, how much of an impact do interviewing those people and learning about them have on you? Um, so, you know why I started my podcast way many moons ago? Because I started podcasting as a way to help me overcome my own fear of public speaking. Even then, I interviewed some amazing people. And when I started this particular podcast with the intention of making it about the BME community, um, first of all, it's always a privilege. And I'm humbled about the, just the incredible people. Um, and so when people ask me questions, I'm like, oh, Wait, hold up. I got the tea on this. I Let me tell you about Nikkei Folayon. Because of her, we can drive through the Blackwell Tunnel. Now, you, if you're not a Londoner, you don't know the Blackwell Tunnel. It's a dreaded place. I don't like the tunnels. But, you know, you can now drive through tunnels and you can be on the phone because of her. She's an electrical engineer. And part of the work that she's done, she created a system that allows us to still stay connected on our phones when we drive through that tunnel. Oh, wow. So I'm then privileged to tell her story, ask her questions and find out. And I can say that to advocates or to somebody else and they can then tell that story. Yeah. And go, oh, I know someone that interviewed someone that did X, Y, and Z. Or I can say, I interviewed a woman and in 20, I think it was 2018, 20, yeah, 2018, when I interviewed her, I realized that she was the first and only in her industry. Okay. You know, so I, I then have the fun, first of all, it's fun because I get to, I'm nosy. I like to find out about people. That's why, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I'm so nosy. <laughs> Let's get the truth out there. I am nosy <laughs> as hell. I want to be all up in everyone's business. Uh, I want to find out. I want to, I, I'm curious about, who, what, where, and why, who, what makes you tick? Yeah. 
and then I get to find out and I get to I get to have the pleasure of sharing a bit of your story on a platform on a, where you may not have already gotten a lot of range. I've had people now who have done unique things, who are doing unique things. They're, you know, and so for me, it's, it's always a privilege and it's always for me a very humbling experience when I get to talk to someone who are just amazing. Now, there's an interview I did recently of a husband and wife and they're talking about their journey to fertility to actually create what I call a little person. Yeah. A person in, in their home, they brought in life but that journey was so not straightforward. It was an assisted conception and just the journey they had to nav- circumnavigate the cost of it, the, you know, when we have the, uh, a picture of IVF and the concept of IVF, again, it's a very one-sided window of that picture of, you know, affluent white couples. There was recently a documentary on um, IV- the IVF journey and I remember watching it and I, you know, seeing the, 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 the press around it. And it's like, again, it's the what's missing here. Yeah. And, they, and they talked about their journey and they were open and honest to having to navigate the issue of faith and all of those things around it. And from that, they decided to create a platform now to disrupt the industry to say that there has to be other ways to look at this. There has to be because it can cost over thousand pounds to create a, to, to, to create a baby bring a baby into this world in the UK Doc, apparently doctors can charge whatever they feel like it, it's um, the, the emotional turmoil and the financial turmoil people must go through I, I have a few friends I know have had difficulty I having cannot, children I just I and, and, and I, I am so so privileged that I have four children and I'm obviously fertile and that I'm incredibly grateful for and it breaks my heart when I hear of people and it makes me feel shameful sometimes when I think why do I get to be able to do that and and someone else has to go through years and it's years isn't it years of such trauma and, and, and you see, there's, there's also, so, you know, we're talking about story, there's, there's, there's a, there's a added layer to the story when you're talking about IVF again in black couples. Yeah. There's this idea that we, that black people don't have fertility issues in terms of where it's this ever fertile black woman or this ever fertile virile black man. There's always this idea that we you know and so it's not the same conversations so that's crazy isn't it that that is is, someone's thinking but but there is that thinking that oh well you can't you know they're they're talking about literally almost being dismissed as if it's in their head but you know you're black people you should be fertile so because it's this idea that black women are supposed to be fertile we're you know we make babies indiscriminately and so there's still that layer mm. of story and so when they're telling the story they're open they're honest and they're real and it's and then it's then coming in from the other side where you know where other people would have shared the, the regular story of the feeling of shame feeling like it's my fault it's you know all those things and they've used that and now they've created this platform from it to speak 
on this topic. And I had the privilege to sit and listen to this story. And I, I remember I, you know, normally I used to do my shows live and I started doing them pre-recorded. I listened to the pre-recorded and, and I was really annoyed because my microphone, for some odd reason, my microphone was a bit quieter, they're theirs, and I was like, oh my God, I can't use this. And I'm like, can the people who need to be heard be heard? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm secondary to this story. Yeah. So the story's going to go out tomorrow. And so for me, that's why I do, and that's, that's why I have the podcast, to share stories like that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's so important it is too. And I, yeah, I really, I've, I, I've, I've subscribed on the, um, on my podcast app, and because I, when I was like going through, I was like, oh wow, uh, because like, like you, um, I, I like to choose everyday people who I bump into along the way, and that, you know, that's where uh, the incredible stories come from. Because we're not going for people necessarily who and and um, I I need to delve into to yours more, but just you know that that's the beauty of it. I think um, the more stories we share, and uh, for me is 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 about putting that light on and opening the dark places up um, for conversation. Um, so um, yeah, podcast podcast <laughs> women. <laughs> unite um in that sense <laughs> yes. completely and I love your it's funny because I was I was doing something the other day and I was thinking about being loud it was because my friend Layla had put um she does a photography um sort of theme each week and we share photos or, or, or I usually share words um mm -hmm. and she was talking about being loud and I, I um shared a thing that I wrote about being allowed as in not only just being loud but being allowed to be loud and it just when I saw your hashtag for your shine out loud I, I understand that it's like you know abbreviated but it says so loud and I was just like yes <laughs> I was just like I love that I loved it so much and <laughs> um, when I saw that it, it, it came out like that I love it when things like that happen it's just meant to be isn't it <laughs> yeah so it is indeed so I have one final question to ask you that I ask everybody um sure it is. If you could shine a light on any area of darkness in the world, what would it be and why? That's a big question and it's only one. Uh, oh, Lord. Uh, if I could shine a light in any area of darkness. I think for me, it will be shining a light on the toxic relationships that we have with ourselves first, because that then informs so many different things, because how we show up in the world is how people take us. So if we are in this toxic, sick relationship with ourselves first, and that then tells us that we are not enough, we're not good enough, we are this and that, and we don't deserve, we are unworthy, what is gonna happen is energy attracts energy. We're gonna attract people who then treat us as unworthy, not enough, not good enough. We attract the, the situations that will further reinforce the feelings that we're having. And, you know, and it becomes this loop of sadness. Mm. I think there's no other word to use because you're trapped in it and you just, remember the fog? You're going round and round oh, and round. Yeah. So 
is a toxic relationship is shine a light on how we end the toxic relationships, how we stop speaking to the chimp community, how we start living from our place of wholeness, how we get over ourselves so we can start falling in love with ourselves one day at a time, how to become more present to who we are being in this moment and how we are being. Use now using tools like NLP to help work with us to change our neurology around how we think about ourselves because how we think about ourselves manifests in how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about ourselves then manifests in how we carry ourselves, how we carry ourselves then manifests into again how we think about ourselves and how we think about ourselves. The more we think about ourselves in this terms and of oppression and depression, then we end up in the realms of being sick and becoming physically manifesting the thoughts that we are holding and hiding and it, it, it then turns into this ease of the body and mind and then we are popping pills and yeah and yeah and and creating and the, and the circle continues yeah oh completely so amazing uh Lillian oh thank you I I, I want to talk to you all <laughs> no, but it's not going to be good into you. I feel like I, I yeah I I don't want to stop this conversation now but you know there's more to say and I think we probably need to like have a have a an outside chat somewhere at some point <laughs> to to continue it on but yes. um yeah um thank you so much for um for being in my life and uh, you know and you know coming on the podcast today um I am sure and I know that people will love to explore what you're doing in the in the shine out loud and 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 on all of your work so um i really appreciate it thank you um, you're welcome and um, you can uh, anything we've spoken about any links and and you can find the links to uh, uh lillian's um podcast and um all her social media links in the show notes um and um, please do go and explore and have a look um and have a listen as well um be really good to continue the conversation and yeah do let us know in the comments um if there's anything that's come up for you thank you bye bye see you next time oh don't go <laughs>